Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Howdy, howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is September 6, 2018. Um, I'm Eric Clark, your host, and I'm sorry, I'm just super excited that boating is uh, less than two weeks away here in Wisconsin, the season opener, so I'm super excited about that. And I'm also really excited and happy to bring you today's episode uh, featuring guest Greg Litzinger of the Hunting Fiend YouTube channel and um, Instagram page, uh, someone who I I just recently discovered, sadly. I wish I would have known about him uh, sooner. Super great guy, great episode, and we talk big woods and uh, hunting tactics in big woods, kind of going back to my roots as a Shawanigan, um, probably saying that wrong, Nicolay National Forest hunter where I cut my teeth growing up in big woods. So um, kind of going back to my heritage on this episode and, and pulling some pages out of Greg's playbook and kind of learning how he does it, how he's had some, you know, success and kind of getting his mind with his experience. So really cool episode. Happy to bring him on. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming back on another episode. Appreciate everybody listening and appreciate the ratings and reviews coming through as well. Keep those coming too. Thanks so much. All right, so on the show with me today, I have someone who I think has had a whole lot of experience hunting the big woods further up north than where I think we're at here in Wisconsin. Um, Greg, let's, damn it, Greg. No, I freaking, I promise I wouldn't mess up your last name. I really forgot. Litzinger. Litzinger? Litzinger? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Let's not. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, it was like one year, not the next. I thought I had it cataloged, yeah, and then yeah, I went to yeah. go say it. <laughs> Tricky. Something yeah. wrong with these neurons in my mind, you know? Yeah. What Blake. The heck? You got kids. Just play around with kids. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. If, and if anybody hears lullabies in the background, it's because my daughter is asleep in the next room. So. <laughs> <laughs> or so she's crying means she woke up. Yeah. But so I, I found you. Um, how I found a lot of my recent guests because I've been spending so much time there on Instagram, which led me to your YouTube channel, the bow hunting fiend. And, uh, I went down a rabbit hole of diving (laughs) deep into your content. And I, I gotta say, man, I just love the style of the approach. I love how you do things. And, um, I think a lot of people in the audience can relate or, or could learn at the very, at the very least. Yeah. Or at least entertain. Good, good laugh. <laughs> yeah, you either get utility or entertainment out of something. You might have a little bit of both, but you know, exactly. You seem like a pretty interesting dude. I realize that you're also, according to your YouTube channel, um, a shooter for the IBO, which is the International yeah. Bow Hunters Organization. Yes. How'd you get yeah, into yeah, that, I, man? That's that's interesting I, in and of itself. I just uh, 
Um, I mean, quick little uh, backstory on how I got into target shooting is uh, I was a big-time snowboarder in my 20s, and injuries pretty much kept me from uh, doing going to the mountains, and I kind of needed something to, uh, like, fill the void. So I found a coach, you know, had some uh, bad experience in the deer woods, ended up finding a coach. It was like a big whole you know, snowball effect and learned that I'm such a competitive person. Just being a good shooter wasn't enough for me. So once I started shooting 3D and actually you know, getting better at shooting and believing that I can shoot well, I started competing and travel, you know, down to Virginia quite a bit, wherever I can go and either win some money or win some gold medals. And you did. Uh, you've done, you've yeah, done all I, those things. Yep. Uh, this year I got two thirds. Even I mean, I had a, for listeners there. I just my daughter was born, you know, three months ago. So anybody that's had kids, you know, time is limited. <laughs> yeah, months before the baby's here, still trying to figure yeah. out how you can fit your life into theirs. <laughs> yeah, so I place uh, third in Delaware, which I'm I'm not too upset over that because it was literally the worst conditions I've ever shot in. I shot one of the best rounds I ever did, as far as windy and nasty as it was, and I did like three weeks of training. So I was pretty happy with that. And then a couple weeks ago, I placed third in New Jersey State. Um, in a known, uh, a known 3D tournament, and I thought it would be easy because you know the yardage. Okay. That's a whole different monster. <laughs> Let me wow. tell you, because wow. I, I shoot unknown. So you, you know in the distance, it's like, uh, no, I shoot that for 27, but the rangefinder says like 24, and then it started messing with my head. It was a, it was a, it was fun. It was a, I thought I'd breeze right through it and just like shoot a 310, 315, 320, and it was like, uh, Scraped at 287 or 290, almost like wow, it's tough. Man, that's, that's a whole different mental game. Yeah, whole different mental game. Like that, you're, yeah, it's it's fun what you gain from that. Mm-hmm. It's humbling. So so, but, so that didn't come first. Hunting came first, I presume. If you were a snowboarder yeah. and then got into archery, so then yeah. Um, if we rewind to when you started hunting, did you initially start with gun or bow? No, I I've been a you know I, I've been bow hunting since I'm 14. Um, I said lifelong bow hunter, and it's just I hunted. I was a good shot, but once hunting season ended, I was fishing, and that you know sure. that was pretty much uh, how things went for a long time. And then you know, eighteen, nineteen, got into snowboarding, you know, chasing girls and snowboarding. So fishing and hunting kind of wasn't my main focus. In life. So I think it happens to a lot of still, those guys. <laughs> yeah, but I still did it. You know, I, I I put meat. You know, I was a meat hunter. I didn't really get into, you know, the mature deer hunting or as some would call it, trophy deer hunting until probably I don't know, mid to late twenties. Because um, I was just looking for, like I said, as most people, that the challenge. You shoot enough, you know, basket rack eights. You need something that. But, uh, That's not going to just mill- yeah. nilly walk right in front of you and ask for it. You yeah. want to earn it a yeah. little more, for sure. Exactly. And, you know, so so I've pretty much been hunting, you know, even before I can hunt it. I, you know, with my dad in the woods and shooting bows in the backyard. And then, except with the, the competition aspect, that just came about because I'm a really competitive person. <laughs> <So> that- <laughs> and I don't like I don't like to lose. 
So That's pretty cool. So you push I, yourself. You put, so your 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 actions match your ambitions. Is is what yes. I'm hearing. So like when you realize yes. you want to do something, you map it backwards and you work towards that goal, and you don't really yeah. It sounds like you don't yeah, really relent it, until you get what you're yeah. after. Yeah, I'm, I'm very as my wife will attest to stubborn. Um, <laughs> I will I will see something through to the end, even if it means like I'm. You know, going to lose on the back end on this because I get very like I set out a goal to do something. I want to see it through. If it takes me six years, eight years, ten years, like I'm fine with that. Like I'm not a, you know, I think yeah, that's well, why when, I'm, you're, when I'm you such... when you have a real goal, patience. It doesn't know it doesn't know any limits because yeah, you have your exactly. north star set. You're you're good. Like you can you can deal with the 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 shit that you're gonna have to eat that comes along with it because it's all good. Oh. It's part of the process. Yeah, and that's uh, I think why I'm I've become such a good. I've always been a good deer hunter. Like my father was, he wasn't a, a mature deer hunter. My dad was a deer hunter. You go in the woods, put my dad in the woods, we're not going to starve. And that's how I learned how to hunt. And then as you know, as you progress, you know, you through different phases of your life. Like I'm a little more competitive than my father. So if I do something, like I really want to be the best at it. And maybe it's a recognition thing. I don't know, but I think that's like I said. That's why I'm good at you know mature deer hunting. Like I can wait it out. You know, I I don't mind. Like I ate tag soup the last two years, and I'm not upset. I'm not bothered. I don't lose sleep over it. It makes me even more hungry. You know, it's kind of cliche saying that, but uh, it it shows my weaknesses and it shows my strengths. And I try to just. Uh, it would get better. I know if I didn't kill a deer you know, last year, the year before, that means I'm not good enough. I need to change and evolve, get better. So, that's pretty cool, man. That's, yeah, life life, life tip, knows. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, some of us need that. You know, it's, deer yeah. hunting's an all-encompassing thing. There's a lot more that goes into it than we all think, and that's a big piece of it. And the the grit and character that you bring into the woods really helps you prevail, man. Like, you know, and it sounds like yeah, you might be competitive. And that works out great, but I think for what you're after, you're really competing with yourself more than anybody else. I don't think yeah. you seem like the kind of guy that gives a shit what someone else is going to have to say about it. It's more about the intrinsic yeah. side of things and how you're going to feel at the end of the day about yourself. Yeah, and it's all—it's always good to you know throw a little dirt in somebody's eye that deserves it. Yeah. There's a, yeah, I, I mean, here, here in Jersey, it's, it's, we're a very populated state, and... I love the fact that, you know, I've killed some deer right next on public, you know, right next to farmers, you know, they've been, they run cameras, they do all that stuff. And I've killed quite a few nice deer and I see them out and about in a bar or, or, you know, Cabela's or Walmart. And like, man, you're the guy killing, you know, my deer. I'm like, oh, your deer. I'm like, well, thanks for growing, planting all that stuff and fatting them up. I was like, because he's on my wall. So I guess that would make him. My dear, mm, yeah. Thanks. Have a nice day. Yeah, but it's always the good. Cam, don't count, buddy. I got the real deal on the way, man. Exactly. I got him, not you. I dragged him out of the, the trail. Not you. I paid yep. for the mount, not you. He's mine. The trail camera picture, guys. I mean, you know, I killed my biggest antler-wise deer. I killed him. You know, a giant piece of public. You know, five minutes from my house. And I had three, probably almost four, four people showing me camera pictures of Scott. Man, you, you you shot my deer. I'm like, yeah, just because you have a trick picture at 2 a.m. 
doesn't mean he's just yours. because you named him doesn't mean <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the worst it's like you know well, i call him i call him dead <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so what'd you call him i'm like i didn't call him anything i called him uh you know i i just call him just where i killed him i call it the thundergut buck that's nice. pretty much i killed him with thundergut so it's the thundergut buck i don't know I said here buck buck but, buck buck and then he came and, I, and yeah. that's i called him <laughs> exactly <laughs> That's funny, man. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. I mean, like you got to have the chops to back it up. I, I like talking shit, but if I don't know what I'm talking about, I get pretty damn quiet, you know. So Ooh. for you to be able to uh, you dish it out and then and then own it because you've done it, that's a that's a good feeling. That's one reason yeah. to be awesome, right there in and of itself. Yeah. It gives you credibility to to shit talk some people. Yeah, and that's uh, even with like competing and like shooting. Like I compete literally with a hunting bow. I throw heavy hour, big hours on it, but the hunting site. A uh, hunt and drop away rest, you know, 12 inch stabilizer, you know, nothing fancy, no shoot through risers or any of that jazz. And they go and compete at a high level with some of these guys that got thousands of dollars. And, and we shoot hunter class. Like, come on, there's got to, there has to be a line you draw, like, you know, sure, what you can and in, yeah. Some, yeah, but some of these guys, I mean, if I had the money, I guess I'd do it too. But I enjoy keeping it as basic and simple as possible and then shooting really well. And, like, when you win, like, I like to win by, like, as most true competitors, you just don't want to win. Like, you want to crush people. Like, so. Well, and and a big big way of doing that is bring in something that you use every day that they're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on. You're like, well, I guess it's not all that stuff that's going to help you when it's real skill. Exactly. Yep. You know, and it was, uh, it was nice because my first podium finish I ever got, I had, I bought a 3D target belt. It was blue. It was nice. Shoot the riser. First year competing, I placed three times, and I'm like, this almost feels like it's cheating. So I sold that 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 spring, and and bought a two hundred dollar, two hundred fifty dollar bear, I forget what it's called, Anarchy Eight C, and I actually placed with that thing. Like I had like five hundred dollars total wrapped up in the belt, and I actually placed in a tournament with that thing. I was like, all right, so it's not the equipment; it's the guy behind the equipment, and that's just. A good feeling knowing that you know you can shoot well with almost anything that's freaking awesome man that's got to give you so the confidence you gain from that world how has that helped you in the wild let's just say since i mean knock on wood here yeah you better find some wood ever (laughs) yeah ever ever since i started competing and i'm really like training competing i have not lost a deer but that, has, so to, that let, has to go with the fact that you're constantly practicing too. That can't, yes. you know, it's not just because you are yeah, a competitor. Because I could compete and suck yeah. at it, but I might still miss deer. Yeah. Because but you're that, working towards it, all the time, huh? Yeah, and that, well, the high pressure, like you go into uh, uh, even like some money shoots. If you put up 80 bucks a shoot, 50 bucks a shoot, you know, and you might win a couple hundred bucks. Like that adds a whole element of nerves to the equation. Dude, if you can I, go get, or, I get nervous playing poker for twenty bucks every now and again. Like, yeah, even if it's twenty mm-hmm. bucks, go, there's still some on the line. It feels different. Yeah, I hear ya. And if you go to, like, I I I like to compete in places I never shot before. So I love going somewhere where I've never stepped foot on, and that's and you know shoot with random strangers, people I've never seen before, never met, never talked to before, and shoot really well. Like that requires a certain nerve, a certain mindset. Because you're not in your backyard. Like, there's a lot of good shooters that never leave their backyard. That's you know, they're, they're backyard champions. And they really test yourself. You know, you, you got to really test yourself. You know, and 
shooting crocs and flip-flops, you know, in your perfectly manicured yard of flat ground. And, you know, that's not hunting to me. Like, even as a kid, like my dad, he set a little trick shot for us. You know, he used to kick a half-deflated soccer ball across the yard, and we just had to shoot it while it was rolling. You know, like all these yep. little things we've done forever. And now with, you know, train to hunt stuff, I've done a train to hunt competition, uh, not this year, but the prior year. And that was stuff that was entertaining. You know, you're running and trying to shoot a bow for points. And that's a whole, you know, mental thing that adds, you know, fun stuff to shooting. <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm the guy that does shoot in my Crocs. That's funny that you know that about yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember when I was a kid, the first bow I ever picked up was a recurve because it was just hanging in my dad's garage, and I was a bored kid. I always needed something to do, so that looked really cool. So he set up a target for me and taught me to shoot. And that's how I started shooting bow, and then I didn't get really into it again until after the chasing girls phase. Um, yeah. Probably I didn't I didn't pick up a bow till 21, 22, and even then it was an old – old's not the right word, but to me, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a young 32, <laughs> right? But it was a Dart and Viper dual cam. That was my first ever bow. It was a hand-me-down from my dad that I got outfitted with some newer stuff. And I shot that all the way up until two years ago. Now I have a, another used bow, but newer. Yeah. It's a, a Bear Empire and single cam this time. That but, works. Man, I, you know, I, I actually got, you know, um, my first bow deer last year, believe it or not, with that bow, the, the Fred or the Bear. So, yeah, awesome. man, like, it's funny because I'm a grown-ass man now and I've been at it for a while, but it... It's not that I didn't have the opportunities before. I just either didn't connect or I didn't get the shot or whatever. And bow hunting's no joke, man. It's it's not gun hunting. It's a lot yeah. harder. You got to do different things. You got to get closer. You got to understand things at a different level. And it's constant learning all the time. It's, you know, I, I hate saying it's a game. You know, it's a, in, with the, they say in football, it's a game of inches. You know, hunting's not a game. I get that, but it really is. It's a good saying. A matter of inches. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Because yeah. it, it's a it counts. Ma- matter of inches. And it's a matter of inches I've, based on where you connect too. You know, like <laughs> exactly. You know, like if you hit a deer, you know, three uh, an inch too high, you hit that dead zone of the lungs, or you know, you hit that you're they're right underneath you, and you just clip that one lung. A mature deer. I mean, I, I lost a giant one year, and my broadhead snapped, bent in half, or broke actually bet and i got one long on this deer i mean absolute i'll never see a deer that big probably in new jersey ever again and end up losing that deer and that was heartbreaking yeah or you know and and it yep an an inch to the left probably wouldn't hit you know probably would have got you know the little left shoulder you know more scapula and probably blew through it and that deer would have you know folded up 40 yards later so you know same with a I mean, even last year, I had to pass on a you know, 140 inch caliber deer because I couldn't get them on the film because pretty much a matter of inches. I had a branch covering <laughs> covering the camera where he was walking. I could shoot him, and the camera couldn't see him. So it was like ugh. I had to watch him for like a half hour, literally. If I would have been six inches higher, lower in the stand, that I would have had you know perfect view of that deer and I could have shot him you know a hundred times over so being prepared <laughs> in your setup is being absolutely perfect in your setup it can uh, I would say is one reason why I've had success in the woods I get very particular 
Um, I mean, I, every tree I set up, I set up in the spring, summer, I actually put the stand up in the tree to get the perfect spot height where I'm not cutting, yeah, because we're not allowed to cut limbs, you know? Yeah. And where you, I need to put the stand, and I actually keep a book and a measurement, like a compass measurement on where to place my stand, 220 degrees, 270 degrees, because I film, I got the camera on the right, so it, it's really important for me to make sure everything is perfect. Well, dude, that's and interesting. Little... Like one of my favorite one of my favorite quotes that I've heard uh, in the last year is by Louis Pasteur, and it says, um, "Chance favors the prepared mind." Yeah. And so, like, if there's an and... opportunity that's going to present itself, if you're prepared, you you, you just you're you're more prepared yep. for it, right? Like, you've covered yep. more bases now, less excuses. And that's the... Yeah, and that deer last year, where I seen him, I ain't been in that spot in probably four years. And I'm like, that eh, should be good. It's a, you know, it's a, a funnel bottleneck, and it's just, it's. I just got too high in the morning in the dark. I was just a little too high and had to watch that deer. You know, I a solid, beautiful deer with a doe, and you know, November what seventh. It was, it's heartbreaking. But like a lesson learned, like that's what I get when I, when I don't come prepared. That's what happens to me. And like my buddy Tony, and he helps me set up a lot of my trees and stuff. And he's like, "Dude, you really are particular." I was like, "Did you get one shot?" And that was my one shot last year. I was like, "I get one shot at a deer a year, and that's it. I don't one shot at a mature deer. I've I've never been blessed with a guy that even <laughs> sees three or four mature deer a year." Well, so you, but so let's. Let's let's kind of tease that out a little bit. So, um, you're hunting big woods, if I'm not mistaken, based on some of the content I've yeah. seen putting out there. You're not hunting, you know, you're hunting, in some cases you're hunting some mountainous kind of terrain, some swamps, but yeah. overall it seems like big chunks of land. Yeah, th- thousand. I, I try and keep uh, the last couple of years because there's a few small pieces of you know four or five hundred acre block timber I hunt, you know, smaller woodlots. But the problem with those woodlots are, odds are that deer's not bedding on there. So I've been trying to focus on big tracts of timber where you're, you're looking four, five, six plus thousand acres. Because if you can see, if you can see a deer, you know, in the, you know, say you got 10,000 acres and there's big bulk sign in the middle, odds are that deer's probably living 90% of his time on that piece of public. So he's killable <laughs> than a deer that's only passing through a piece of public once every three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's my, uh, what I've been really working on here these last couple of years. So how do so, you, how do you hone in when you look at such a large area? How do you, how do you start to dissect that where you can start to attack it and dive in? Like I'm a, uh, you know, little backstory. I'm primarily a, a bed hunter. I don't hunt food. I'm a bed hunter slash terrain hunter. I don't hunt, um, I never hunt food because I just, I've never seen a mature deer in daylight eating ac- acorns in a big wide open oak flat. So not saying people do, I'm just not that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, whatever uh, works for you, whatever you've experienced where you've had success, like, you know, yeah. with a double down on what works. Yep. So I, you if you would have success hitting some deer that way, you, you probably would be that guy, you know? Exactly, you know, and that's just not my cup of tea, I guess. Yeah, we all have as hunters, people, we all have strengths. And I've been uh, a, a bed hunter ever since I can remember. You know, my dad hunted outside doe bedding areas a lot. So it's kind of, you know, well, 
at Roger Ragland invading big buck bedding areas with a big DVD or VHS back in the day. And that's how we've always just hunted. And I've stumbled and fumbled and kind of found this, you know, something that works for me. And it's basically just hunting strictly bed and terrain or you know, transition lines off of bedding areas or, you know, singular uh, buck beds. But let's just break down a big wood section that's relatively flat. You got some swamp edges. Here in New Jersey, the swamps are blown out with people. So these bucks have had to change their tactics over the last, you know, a couple, you know, so decade are, or so. Are you saying more people are hunting the swamps as of lately? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you think that's because uh, of, last... of the Dan Infaults of the world pumping that messaging out there? I just, because Jersey legalized baiting, so everybody figured they'd take the bait into the bedroom. Well, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily work that way uh, for some people, but for most, you're just pushing them out of their, you come in and out, you're pushing them out uh, of that, of, of their standard bedding ground. So these deer have had to find alternate places to bed, and I've been having a lot of success finding these, like, I guess, secondary transition lines. You, know, you got the low swamp. You got, like, a little middle section. Then the high section, you know, like the high ground where the oaks might be or the laurel. Uh, these deer are just almost like in hill country or mountain country. They're running just that, you know, I don't even know if you call it a second, secondary transition line, just where it's almost coming up into more mature hardwoods. They're staying in this thick brush stuff, and they're actually bedding like they would in hill country, you know. Um, I just walk those transition lines, and it's a lot of these transition lines you can't even see on on the top of the map or Google Earth or, or anything, Onyx maps. They don't exist. You know, it's, it's, it's not enough variation, I guess. You might only be dealing with a foot or two. Yeah, so, that's, kind of, I, that's great because that's kind of where I was coming at with my question is, if I'm looking at all these properties online digitally, it all looks the same. How the hell do you know yes. where to go, you know? Yeah. Okay. And so, I yeah, let's uh, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I I have two GPSs. I have, you know, the, the Onyx maps on my phone and have a Garmin. And I find and I start data logging every rub, direction, which way it's facing. And, you know, I walk this transition. I find, like, an elevation. You know, it might only be, you know, a three-foot change between the top and, you know, the, the hardwoods and the swamp. But whatever that, you know, small little variation is, it's pretty much the, all the buck sign is going to be in that same level. I mean, you can pretty much see it. It's really nothing, you know, it's not rocket science. But it's basically just boots on the ground, you know, or hip waders, chest waders, whatever it might be, and just logging hours upon hours of walking. Like, and I, it's, I might break down, uh, like this year, I broke down the section of woods. It's been about a two year process to try and fully understand how this deer are using this giant, huge section of So that, swamp. there's the patience coming oh, back into play. Yes. Yep. And I found it by accident. As, as a lot of good spots happen. That's why I always have, you know, it's great about having Onyx maps on your phone. You can just think, mark your location. And you go up, go up in your stand and write what it is um, instead of trying to fumble from your GPS in my pocket. And then it's just go back in the spring and scout it out. 
look for trails and runs and then hunt it, realize that was, you didn't see anything, go back for more because, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, thousands upon thousands of acres and no ag fields. These deer can pretty much eat whatever they want. If there's a crappy acorn crop. These deer will eat whatever they can to survive. So and I want to take, anyway. take a moment right there because I think that deer, I think that deer might be behaving differently in big woods than smaller plots or yep. right. Cause if they're by a field, they know when Johnny, the farmer gets home, you know, and starts a tractor mm-hmm. and they know when the school bus gets out to let the kid, they're, they're more routine esque because that's not even a word. I don't think, <laughs> but <they're, laughs> it is they're, now. <laughs> yeah, let's just make shit up here. That's what I'm doing. But, um, you know, the, the deer come more in tune with our habits and behaviors as human beings. But in big woods, they're pretty far removed from the day-to-day sounds, hustle, and bustle of our lives. And I think that they would flow through the woods a little bit more naturally, you know, where they're yeah. not conditioned to go do certain things at certain times because that's what we're doing. I'll let yeah, you continue. They, they with, go. You know? Yeah. I always call it, you know, the old Australian walkabout because they might bed in this one, you know, general vicinity. And if they're, say, you got a great acorn crop and there's acorns everywhere, well, he might get up and I'm going to go this way. Uh, I'm going to go this way. Like, yeah. So there's really no, with no ag field, he's not like, all right, bedding the ag. It's like bedding the food. Well, anybody's hunted oaks knows that, you know, this tree's dropping and then next week another tree's dropping. So these deer are kind of just following the food. And that's why I'm a terrible food hunter because I don't. It's hard to, ki- I'm not it's hard to catalog and, all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just some guys that are in the woods a lot more can hunt food a lot better than me. Like I'm a weekend warrior. I hunt Saturdays and Sundays. You know, I don't You're really hunt. You're one of the best weekend warriors. <laughs> like you make good use of your time. Yeah. yeah oh, you know, and that, and that, so hunting beds. You know, in in that manner, I hunt them seems to work for me. Um, it, but it's it's really just boots on the ground at time. Yeah, because you got to find you know, them. You're, you're not going to find the beds. You might have an idea of where they could be digitally, yep. but until you get out there and freaking go look and find the yep. the scat and everything else that you know gives way to bed signage. Um, yeah, and like how do you actually know? And, yeah, and with the big woods, I, I find rubs are are so critical, important. And the problem with rubs are you have like staging area type rubs, you know, in and out of a bedding, you know, it could be a rut, you know, rut rubs, staging your know, early season, you know, rubs. It could be staging area off of bed rubs. And the only way to figure that out is either, you know, you run cameras, um, or you hunt it a few times at, at certain times of the year and be like, all right, well, I didn't get any, I don't, there was no rubs in September. So odds are, you know, this is probably like rut type rubbing, you know? Okay. And that just takes time to, you know, a few seasons to figure out because I don't necessarily run cameras um, like a lot of guys that are, you know, camera bombing areas. Uh, this season, I'm actually running a little bit more because I got a little one. So my time in the woods is going to be even less. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got cameras out. Yeah, I got cameras out now, but I won't check them until you know, middle September, end of September, you so know. When, when, when you're out where you're at, you know, without giving anything away or whatever, I wouldn't ask you to, but, um, you know, are you running into a lot of other hunters or, or people that are doing outdoor recreation? Or are you pretty desolate? Are you pretty 
Um, if I find certain hunters that, you know, I find the older deer, or they get kind of lazy. Like if they bed on this ridge, and there could be a hunter that's hunting, you know, 80 to 100 yards away. As long as that hunter don't start, you know, going on this little pocket, this small little finger, going in the swamp where this buck is bedding, that buck will still bed there, and he'll use that person as a gauge. Because he knows that person's routine going in and out. He'll watch them come in and out. You know, he knows, like, all right, I didn't hear that hunter come in this morning, so I'm safe to go this way, you know, or or vice versa, you know. All right, I heard him come in, so I'm going this way. So sometimes you can use people to your advantage. Um, and like I said, there again, that takes time to figure out. Because human beings, we're pretty lazy uh, as a species. Yeah, dude, but, uh, you know, same you just sit down on a couch and watch a show, right? Or sit down yeah. on a podcast thing, like, or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, actually, and we, want, we but, want it now. Everything's on demand, but yeah. that's not how hunting works. And if you yeah, lock you know, out, but, cool, but that doesn't happen that often. You can't expect consistency that way. Yeah, and you just, you have to be constantly moving. Like, I don't use, I, I bring my stand and everything with me every time I go in the woods. Um, very, I don't, I don't have any stands actually left in the woods. So pretty much every time I go in the woods, everything's on my back. If I'm hunting mature hardwoods, I got my climber, my level of climber. If I'm hunting, you know, swampy, you know, or even in the in the mountains, I, I bring my, you know, hang on and uh, limb of sticks. And sometimes you get to an area and you realize, like, oh, crap, there's people here. Well, if you got all your gear on your back, it's easy to make a detour, you know, because you spend any time in that woods, you know, you you have a, a plan D in mind. At least I do anyway. If I'm going to go in here and if I blow deer out, here's my plan B, you know, or if I come in here and I, you know, other hunters come in, all right, here's my plan B, you know, and that that served me well quite a few times. Yeah, that's cool. um sometimes yeah. sometimes sometimes there's plan B's actually uh one deer in my wall, plan B was actually because of another hunter. I was going in and he whistled and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna go over here and boom, caught a glimpse of a deer and a few days later shot him. So, so you yeah, actually went back off. two days later to the Yeah. yeah. Because he didn't yeah, the, everything was like I seen him off in the distance, but I'm like there he is. All right. So, yeah, yeah like it's not worth chasing him right now. Let's just catalog yep. that and make a note. Yep. That's cool. So being being mobile and being open to change, you know, as as I was talking to some somebody on Instagram uh, yesterday and today about every two weeks you should be hunting a little bit differently as the season progresses. You know, because every, every you know a week in a deer woods is a long time for deer. You know, a lot, a lot of stuff happens. Food's changing. Leaves are falling. You know, the rut's Daylight's getting, you know, changing, right? Bad. Like, yep. Yep. So they're constantly, there's a whole lot of change from going on. And deer, they're constantly changing. And, you know, with pressure, you know, I, I, I hate using, the, you know, I hate saying public land because it seems like to be the, the end thing. Like, there's a difference between pressured public and then limited access public or, you know, public that's not really, you know, hunted very hard. Like, I purposely hunt in the heaviest hunted sections of woods I can find. Um, so you go for the the densely hunted public properties? Yeah, I, because, yeah, if I find big buck sign and there's a crap ton of people, I'm like, all right, now I get to see, and now I get to see who, you know, who's the, the best, you know. it's 
I, I like putting myself in so my, my competitive nature. So you out of the woods, you're doing it in front of yes. everybody. Yes. Dude, you're the first person I've encountered. Uh, you're 60. You're episode 60. Um, that has that mindset. And I'm drawn to that because I have a mindset, not because I'm competitive and I get, it depends on what it is, but I'll I, like, I want to rip people's faces off when it comes to competition. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. but like, Hey, off the, off the field or whatever, let's be buddies. It's all good. And I respect yeah. that. It's awesome. But like, if you're going to compete with me, buckle the fuck up. That's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> and cool. So you and I, um, assimilate that way. But additionally, I would like to do the same because I like the challenge and not, not yeah. even in a cheesy way. Like I, oh, I like the challenge. Like I, I'm, um, I've said this on other episodes or other, whatever, but like I am an internal optimist. I think there's a quote out there that, uh, optimism is a force multiplier. So it's all about approaching a situation with optimism rather than pessimism. And, you know, there's some things that yeah. can kind of develop out of that, but I think that there's so many people that build up excuses and that is the biggest excuse that I'm not going to hunt that area because there's too many people there already. And I like the challenge of proving all of them effing wrong. Like, nope, you're all wrong because you went in it without optimism. You're woe is me. I can't hunt because there's too many people that just change the, change the lens, approach the situation differently, learn something and come out of it better. Well, you know, um, and it's, because the way deer are, like in the high pressure areas, I mean, in certain parts of Wisconsin, it probably gets blown out with gun hunting, and you know, there's a yeah. lot going on. But these, a lot of people get the misconception with you know heavily pressured land. These these deer, they're nocturnal. They're this. They have all these, you know, like you said, excuses in the bag. These deer were born into a high pressure area. That's all they know. So you, if you bump them out, dude, this is this yeah, is organism. They. Yes, yes they, they've been bumped out before. It's nothing new to them. It's like, hmm. ah, all right, it's hunting season. And But they were born and bred into that, so that's all they really know. So it's in their so, genes. What do they know? Yeah, so they get around it. Yeah, so they get around it, and they know, you know, uh, in some of these spots I hunt, you know, it, there's little year-and-a-half-old bucks that are so wary and cautious, and they move like a mature deer because they're, well, you know, mature does are the worst. They're, those little, yeah, they're pretty freaking you know, annoying when they start biting. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you the know, bucks then, use them you, to their advantage. They look to those does to you know inform their decisions based yep. on their behavior. It's crazy. Yep. So to say that you know the deer, you know we're going to pressure the deer. Listen, if you're I hunt high pressure areas, kids are already pressured, man. You know they know what's up. You know, and now with the advent of trail cameras, there's even more pressure because people's out checking their cameras all summer long every week and they're doing their velvet test updates on, on social media. And like, they're just making it harder. Like you've already swift flipped the switch on that deer. By the time August rolls around, that deer is like, mm-hmm, yeah. All right. And they slowly get more and more nocturnal. Like they're not dumb, you know, dumb deer get killed. Smart deer live. So how do you, so, so how do you, how do you go into those areas? How do you approach that and come out the way you come out? It's uh. And like I said, mindset, like, if I don't think any deer is, quote, unquote, nocturnal, I don't think any deer is unkillable. Like, I don't look, I don't use those things as, you know, as crutches like a lot of people do. I look at it as, like, that deer is just evading, he's the best at evading human beings. So if you want to survive, how would you move through an area? Because he has to eat, he has to, you know, drink, and he has to sleep. 
well, you know what? The eating, his, his will to, his will to survive and live trumps eating and drinking. Under, you know, and it, when it comes hunting season, it's not like August and they're going to die of thirst. You know, I hunt a lot of swamps. There's water everywhere. So if you can focus on bedding, you know, and, and forget everything else and really learn how to, how these deer enter and exit beds, you know, and why they bed there, you can become a, a really skilled hunter. And one of your, it's, it one of your YouTube time. videos, um, I think it was one of the more recent ones you had, um, you were looking for some beds and you were showing like, Hey, there's hair in this bed. You know, that's how I can tell it's yeah. used. And there you're like, they're yeah. even, these does are even resting their head on this freaking log. You know, they're using it. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty cool find. Yeah. That was that. Yeah. That was that big woods one. I, I finally broke down. Um, I, I have a good feeling about that spot. I found a lone bunch of rubs and I found a lone bed, big, wide, it was, you know, 42 or 44 inches. And then I went in there. It was cold too, and I had my dog, and I was like, "Man, I can walk down this creek in this swamp." And nope, Mm-mm. that was like up past my knees. It was cold. <laughs> it was brutal, but I ended up stumbling upon those doe beds. And I'm like, "All right, I got those rubs. I found that bed, and I found those where those does are bedding. They're watching, and they're bedding different directions. One's watching. There's a cart road, an old, uh, old abandoned, not abandoned cart road. People still ride their four wheelers and stuff, but it's like." 40 yards away. So these does are watching that and then watching, you know, each point in different directions. There's one doe watching the cart road and two does watching, you know. So it's probably a mom and two babies or something along those lines. And that buck is basically bedding off them and there's rubs going into this little thick section where they're bedding. I'm like, all right, all right. Now I get I, it, you know. I got you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And odds are it'll be disastrous, but it's, the amount of rubs that are coming and going on this little point, and I can pretty much access it by walking up this creek. Um, it's not even really a creek. It's a, a waterway that's maybe five feet wide, and, but it's real deep. So, but chest waders, I walked with chest waders about, I don't know, half a mile or more. The chest waders, you got to climb over, blow down stuff. But I can pretty much access this tree I'm hunting by water in and out, and those deer, you know, not really crossing that creek where I'm going on a regular basis. So I have a really good chance at, you know, possibly shooting something there. If he's, you know, if he looks mature enough, you know, he could be a little dinker for all I know. Yeah, yeah. But probably not, you know, when they're yeah. back that way. <laughs> you know, the, the one yeah. video you posted where you're, you're wading out with the canoe, because you said they yeah. had overgrown, or like over the years it, you know, used to not be that deep, and that the water yeah. line had um, the opposite of receded, expand, I guess. Yeah, it was watching that, and it dawned on me like, man, good thing you have that canoe because it looked like you were really using that as a tool to like, yeah, <laughs> lean exactly. on to well, get some, your next step. Yeah, that shit looked deep, man. There was a lot of muck. Yeah, yeah, that was up past the uh, past my waist some holes. And you can and... get stuck, dude. I've I've had some mm-hmm, precarious mm-hmm, situations yeah. in waders where I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, like your foot's coming yeah. out of your boot <laughs> in your wader and you can't actually move. <laughs> and like, if you don't jump to hold yeah. on to or grab on. You almost need a stick yeah. or something, you know? And that's why, like, uh, like kayaks are real big right now. I still, I mean, prefer a canoe. I've been hunting out of a canoe. I mean, fishing and hunting out of a canoe as long as I can remember. And we used to hunt a lot of waterways, my dad and I, and my buddy Rick. Well, I'd be up front because I mean, we'd hunt even in the wintertime, and I'd break the ice with the canoe. <laughs> I'd be up front, like, smashing with the, with yeah. the oar. 
and Rick and my dad be like paddling through the, the, the slush and the thing. So, and then like canoes versus kayaks, canoes can carry more weight and canoes are more stable to get in and out of, at least for me. So I prefer a canoe over a kayak any day. Yeah. I think, anyway. um, if you have some weight in there, you're good. I know we were, I was in the foundry waters a couple of years back and, my one buddy took one of the canoes by himself and he's in the back and the thing's like, you know, the whole front end's like lifted up and he's going in circles. I'm like, what the f-? yeah, I'm like, that doesn't look good. So like anytime yeah. I think of a canoe, I feel like that image pops my mind, but I know if you had some weight in there, it'd probably change the dynamics a little bit. And I think it'd be yeah. easier to put a deer in a canoe than a kayak, but they, either way, you're right. Some of the kayaks, you don't sit in them. You can sit on them, right? Like there's, yeah, that are might might be better for that kind of use case. And they are becoming, yeah, I just, my last podcast 59 was talking a lot about kayaks so yeah. it's funny you say that because and it's, yeah, that so they both have, yeah like my buddy has he hunts out his kayak but he can't carry the deer out of it he can get in some pretty cool spots but i'm like so if he shoots something like we have to somebody's gonna have to go out there with a boat anyway i'm like well, why don't you just take a boat that just <laughs> seems like double the work how are you dragging you know, these like, deer out once you're when you're that far into the spots is it just a total nightmare are you calling for reinforcements you got a cart are you I mean, is it Sometimes, helpful? You got a canoe yeah. and you can float them out, or what? Yeah, I mean, we've we've actually floated deer across the lake, swam with deer across the lake uh, before. We've we've done a lot of things, <laughs> uh, but yeah, usually it's just uh, all hands, especially like me and my buddies. Like we're, just, I mean, I'm especially at a point where if I shoot something, people want to help me get it out of the woods. Um, yeah, like there's those a lot of excitement around, in that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like those, you know, I'll get out myself, you know, 90% of the time. If I'm, you know, I, I shot a doe, winter bow. It was so cold. I mean, cold as I've ever been hunting. And it just, time just got away from me. And I didn't bring a dragger. I didn't have anything. You know, it was kind of like a spur of moment hunt. I'll go out and the temperature changed. I wasn't dressed for it. And I ended up shooting a doe the next to the last day. She ran, of course, away from the truck. And it took me so long to get her back. Like, I had nothing left in my hands. My hands were cold. I didn't have gloves or anything. Like, I thought I was going to get frostbite or something. And I called my buddy. He's like, I'm going to try to get out there. And by the time I got out there, I literally had the doe in the back of the truck. And I was literally, like, almost passed out in my truck with the heat going. Like, I was so exhausted. Yeah, your hand gets all scratched was, up. Everything hurts more in the cold, too. You're probably rubbing on branches and shit. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Like, uh, I mean, exciting because it's a great story, you know. You know, I shot her. I was sitting on, pretty much laying on the ground. I was filming some does come out. I'm like, man, they come here. I can probably sneak. You know, I'm, I'm in the, the cattails, and nothing. All of a sudden, I look over and I put the camera down. I'm like, man, I get out of here. I'm freezing to death. And I look over and here comes these three or four deer running right at me. And the big doe, she caught. I mean, five yards away from me. I'm literally just laying on the ground holding my bow. I'm like, I don't even know what to do right now. I'm just like a pile of, you know, shit just laying on the ground. And she's looking at me weird and, you know, she can't smell me because the wind's falling like 900 miles an hour. And she <laughs> turns. And I pre- Yeah, I pretty much like as I'm getting up, I'm drawing the bow back. I'm all like discombobulated. I end up shooting her at like 10 yards. And, you know, she ran you know, good distance away from the truck, but. It was just brutal. Like, I didn't have a knife. Like, I took a, a, a dull knife. I ended up taking the, my broadhead apart, one of my broadheads, and using the blade to get the deer. Like, it was, it was so not cool, but cool at the same time. Dude, you'd like my buddy Joel, who comes with every year. He's a, 
he's a marine and he uh forgot his knife one year and he has he just he just casually carries a blade in his wallet you know because that's just what he yeah. does i guess like, what the fuck yeah yeah say so, so guts two deer and like i don't know i no, he shoots two deer guts in both before like anybody else could get one deer gutted with a blade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, what the hell did you do? I had a blade in my in my wallet. I just carry one. Yeah, yeah and that's. Ass. I mean, that I, that believe it or not, it's like the third time I've done that in my life. That's Don't smart. You know, I thought I'd take my broadhead apart. That's a great idea. No shit. Yeah. Duh. It's you know, a like razor that. blade. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, I said it's not ideal, but it does work. Great. <laughs> yeah, I bet you freaking warmed your hands up. That's for sure. Yeah, but yeah, it was one of those things where you know getting her out of woods just sucks. I mean, really yeah, bad. It sucks when that's so great at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and that's because normally I have this little piece of uh, hawk, hawk tree stands make. It's a piece of PVC. There's like a little wire thing you put around their legs and drag them. Yeah. It's a little like a curved piece of PVC. It's great. Best doe dragger I've ever seen. Hold up my backpack. But I didn't have anything. Like, it was such a – I shouldn't have even been out there thinking about it. Thinking about this, it now. One of my buddies taught me this a long time ago. If you, you put a little slit through the Achilles heels on the on the mm-hmm. door, and just shove, shove yeah. a stick through there. Yeah, that's what I tried hand. doing, but I was, in, I was in the marsh, and there's, oh, yeah. like, just Nothing little – like, re, like, red brush, like, little thumb-sized oh, saplings. Right. And it's like you put one on there, and, like, I'm trying to, like – and I don't even have a saw to cut things down, so I'm like, this is just – the worst one of those situations. Yeah, like if I was shot a buck, probably everyone went out there and helped me drag him out. <laughs> but since it was a day, people were like, ah, I'm kind of busy tonight. It's cold. Oh, man, it's late. It would, but, would have been so big. It would have been so much harder either way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Man, that's cool. Do you have, so like I, I try to wrap up with, um, do you have a most memorable hunting story? Most memorable hunting story? Let's see. I'm going to, that one we'll talk about pretty good, but I, I'm just gonna ask you yeah. to dig deep. Yeah, I uh, my buddy Rick. Uh, we first we've been hunting together for you know as long as I can remember, but his he shot a big deer up in the mountains, uh, hill country I guess be, but we were hunting Stoke State Forest. We used to go up there camping, you know, in the campground, you know, in the state forest, and piece of public. We're just driving by. It's pouring down rain. We drive by this little piece of uh public we're like wow this looks pretty cool and like an idiot i was like i'm gonna go up along this creek this you know swamp edge and you go up around this old uh i think it was an old railroad or i don't even something i'm like just stay here i'm gonna push something there's gonna come to you well i don't take my bow so i'm walking through this thing and i end up kicking up like three days and a giant stands there he's looking at those run away and he's 10 15 yards away from me and i don't have a bow and i'm like I don't believe this. Oh, so no. instead of running the Rick, like they run across the, the field and bed down. So of course I'm mad at, mad at the world, angry, you know, my early to mid twenties, still angry a lot about just being angry because that's what a lot of people are when they're young. Yeah. We're passionate, so, heated young individuals. man. Yeah. <laughs> so we get back to the truck and it's pouring down rain. We get back to the campsite and I mean, it's raining. I mean, freaking raining as it always is whenever we go camping, hunting. So we're setting up a tarp, you know, to keep our tent dry and everything. And I'm, I'm in this thing trying drawing out where the deer is putting it out. And I'm like, all right, if we go here, here, the wind's blowing this way, the rain stops. So let's just con it. And I'm like, no, we're killing that deer. 
And right then and there, it was like the first time where I had a, a rage, a, like a fire burn inside of me, like I wanted to kill something, you know, be that close to a mature deer, you know, up there, you know, two, two and a half, three hours away from our house, you know, and I sat there for probably an hour and a half figuring out to, all right, what to do. And then the rain broke and we went out and I was like, all right, Ricky, you go up and I'll, I'll stay back here. Like we'll walk up together and I'll stop. You know, and then you go up here and stop. So I just put my stand down and get to the tree. I'm like, man, this is perfect. There's a big, uh, steep bank, you know, uh, steep for where we were. So the deer either they come around us, they got to go down in the water, you know, or kind of come up, get us a little, uh, I guess lake washout. And this would be perfect. So I'm looking around and all of a sudden I'd see horns coming right up at me. Oh, so I, I draw my bow back. I pull back and shoot, and I literally fall back. I mean, this deer was going to run me over. And I, he, he jumps back down the thing, and he, you know, crashes into the water, and I can see blood. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just shot him. I just shot him. And I'm like, I'm jumping up and down. I threw my bow. It ripped stand off. like, yes. And I'm, I, he, I watch him crawl up this bank and go over in this uh, piece of woods. And then Rick comes running up, screaming. I just shot him. I'm like, wait, what? I just shot him. Ricky's like, no, I just center punched him. So we're looking around. I'm like, well, we both shot him. Because there's blood everywhere. You can see it on the bank and everything. We're like, man, this is great. And it's, it looks like it's a stream. We're like, well, we got to get across. So we go down. And like, we still don't know who shot him. You know, like, we both, um, I don't Jeffrey, care if I'm an arrow. Blood, and, eh? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'll go first across this creek. I took, like, two steps in. It was, like, up to my neck. Holy crap, it was cold, and it was like, I put my bow up, I like, pretty much like, swim across, and I was like, well, that's kind of deep, Rick. Was so, it mucky, or was it just all muck? It was just a deep creek right there, it was just like a, it was like it's right after water. a bend, so, yeah, pretty much, you know, it was like, the middle was like, really deep for some reason. So, <laughs> we both get across, and we go up, and this buck is standing there, watching, sitting there, he's still alive, I mean, we're talking, you know, ten minutes after he shot him, where, you know, we both shot him. So this deer actually gets up, turns around, faces us, and still alive. And he's just, he wants to see us. And we're like, what do we do? I mean, he just looked mean and nasty. I mean, we're only 10 yards away. And we're like, and he's facing us. And we're like, well, can't get another arrow in him. And there's just blood over. It's like, well, he's going to die. We'll just wait him out. You know, and he, he, you know, finally died. And then we go up to him. And there's only one arrow hole. You know, Ricky's, you know, arrow. We end up finding Ricky's arrow. We end up finding my arrow. But (laughs) it was such a cool neat little uh experience and uh so he there's only one wound one arrow hole yep and it was yep. ricky shot him yep man yeah oh, ricky's like shit. walking down and and ricky's like he did exactly what he said he's going to do if you see him he's going to jump up and look the uh-huh. other way because the doe's going to take off and i was like that's what he did with me and sure enough you know he did the same thing and ricky 10 yards away shot this giant you know 100 and you know big body up there the the jeans aren't the best but it was i don't know 115 inches or something the antler, but That's huge cool, body, the beautiful deer. Just great. But the the best part about it is because the banks are steep. They're on this little creek that we're on. I'm like, well, we'll float them down the river. So we drag this deer in the water with all our gear. We're floating them down the river because we're soaked already because we went, you know, fell, you know, crossing that creek. But we get to the point where it's nothing but briars and blowdowns, and we're like, well, this is a bad idea. <laughs> like so, so now we have to take them up a bank of sticker bushes 
that's mm-hmm. still just as steep. And Rick is a big dude. You know, I'm not a big dude, my name is, but Rick is, you know, a big, strong, strapping young man. But him and I were trying to drag dead weight up Pacific Bush Hill. It was absolutely brutal, but such a good time. <laughs> such a, Funny, you know, it was one of those way. moments. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was cool driving home with him. It was, uh, one of those cool feelings where he's in the back of the tailgate, you know, got the, I had a tonneau cover at the time. Those downs, just the antlers sticking out in the head. So many people were just honking the horn and giving thumbs up. Dude, that's a proud so moment. A, that's a badass way to get it too. Like, that's super freaking cool. Yeah. And that is, uh, like I said, if you're a hunter and you, and you get that, it's such a, such a great, and I don't know now, because this is just, we're talking, you know, 15 years ago this happened because the, the, the demographic has changed with anti-hunting and, and, and a lot of people's minds. And I don't know if you get that same type of response if I did that now. If we drove home from the mountains, all the thumbs up. I wonder how many thumbs down we would get. You know, know. probably who, half and half. Who knows, you know, people, whatever. I would, I would just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would be, I'd be ignoring it or laughing right back at them, but. Yeah, that's freaking cool. Do you have you ever been back yeah. to hunt that spot since you got that one 15 years ago? No, we. Uh, I end up going more to. That was the last year I think he started his own business, so he didn't hunt with me for a couple of years. So That'd be I took all. Nostalgic to end back there, end up back there sometime. Yeah, That'd be yeah. A cool one. I believe it. That's the only place I've ever shot a deer that I could not get back to. Hmm. I don't remember where it's at. Ricky, same thing. Yeah, that was before a GPS or anything. And we've looked on a map where it was, Tried and we can't really it. remember. Yeah. And wow. it's like, and it's such a great spot, too. You're like, I can't believe we didn't see no trees. Yeah, no tree stands, no human sign. It's like, how's somebody not, how's this not blown out? Like, you look at it, you're like, wow, this is like some Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, Kansas type shit. You know, it was like, how's there's no stands here? But nothing. Man. But it's probably blown out now, but it was such a, and that's literally the only deer I could not get back to the area where I killed him. What's uh, what's your advice to someone looking to hunt big woods? Read a lot of books, uh, older books. Uh, I think one of the good books that I read was Greg Miller, Deep Woods, Rub Lines, I think it was. Um, it's a wealth of knowledge. I think he used to hunt either Minnesota or Wisconsin Big Woods back in the day before, you know, he became a, you know, a TV guy. And that book's got a lot of knowledge about rubs and, and, and travel corridors and just boots on the ground. You know, like we were saying earlier, there's sometimes there's not a lot of terrain features on the top of the map or, or satellite imagery. So you pretty much just got to burn a lot of, burn a lot of calories and break in some boots and stick to it. Like, don't give up. Don't, give up because it takes time and once you start deciphering the code and there's stuff you know reading the buck signs it, i won't say it's going to come easy but it'll get the easier. excitement i think will fuel it and that changes the equation yes because once you have that yeah, excitement keep, once you've got that nugget of knowledge and you've applied it and you've learned and you're like oh shit this all works yeah. now you want more and that's and i think people quit too soon before you know, like i said my you got to break yeah, like said, and most of my deer, that, that all my bigger deer, you know, the, the quickest I've ever killed a deer has been three years in the area. So I got 
three, four, five. And that my biggest, you know, antler-wise, that I've been hunting that section of woods for almost 20 years before I killed something out of it. So it takes time, you know, and you have to be willing to put in the time. And, it, it, and now with trail cameras, they, you can actually get a lot more time in the woods because that camera can be working for you. You know, if you're a camera guy, um, I wish I would have had trail cameras <laughs> 20 years ago <laughs> in some yeah. of these, you know, yeah. sections because it would have uh, probably kept me out of a lot of areas because you're going to hunt a, hunt a lot of spots that just suck. Like, yep. It's just the sign's there, but the time, the timing is all night activity. You know, and you don't really know that until you hunt it. So you, you might waste half the season hunting the area that fucking blows, but it's really only way to, one way to find out. And, you know, if you got access to cameras, you know, I'd say use them. Um, or go El Natural like I do most of the time and just try to figure it out on your own. Cause ain't no greater, ain't, I hate that word, I keep saying it. There isn't no greater <laughs> feeling, you know, than being an apex predator. And by, by that I mean is figuring out that deer, the hows and why, and picking the exact tree and knowing what trail he's going to come on to the day he's going to be there. Like to me, that is the ultimate feeling. There's no cameras. There's no, your buddies didn't tell you where to sit. Your dad didn't put a tree stand. If you go out there and you do everything yourself, you know, majority of the work yourself, for me, that is the, the greatest feeling, um, hunting wise, I think I'll ever get. Knowing that, you know, I've killed a six and a half, two, three or four, four and a half, three and a half, and they've all just been with my brain. Like, I didn't use any trail cameras to kill any of my deer. So I look at my wall and that is just, you know, I guess we call it old school. <laughs> that's, you cool. know, that's, that's, that's good advice, man. That's and, super uh, good advice. You know, and like I said, this is the first year I got cameras. So I feel like I'm cheating. Um, I look at these deer and I'm like, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, maybe you just you say, know? I'm coming for you next time you look at it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just because, like I said, there's just, it's awesome when, that thing comes into play when, especially when you can go walk into, like I can walk into almost any woods and find deer and find buck sign, you know, be it flat, big woods, flat grounds, or, you know, 20,000 acres of mountains in PA or New Jersey, or even like last year, we went to Montana, me and Rick, and never stepped foot in there. And we were 30 hours from home and we were covered up in elk, mule deer, elk. We seen it all. And that just comes from, me understanding, I think, how and why deer move, you know, and how to use terrain. If so, enough about me. <laughs> Dude, it's all about you on this episode. That's how it works. <laughs> That's great. No, I, I yeah. think uh, we covered the topic pretty well. You know, if any questions come from this, it sounds like you're pretty yeah. active to, resp to responding to people on Instagram. You know, I don't yeah. know if you're if you're selling any shirts, hats, any swag or anything of that nature whatsoever. But that being said, if people want to learn more about you and how you approach things, um, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram, bowhuntingteen, YouTube, bowhuntingteen, no Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, Instagram take enough time. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. My sure. precious time. But I'd like to give out, you know, uh, give a shout out to the people I learned from, you know, on social media, you know, the, 
the Dan Infaults, the Adam Hayes, Greg Millers, John Everharts, the guys that have a wealth of knowledge that are willing to share it, you know, get off your TV, you know, and search some of these internet forums and there's a, a wealth of knowledge out there to be found. You know, check out the Hunting Beast. Um, I said, and now YouTube, the Hunting Public, you know, yep. Aaron and Zach, those guys are doing it up. Uh, there's so many, you know, so many good YouTube series out now. Um, to spend some time and, you know, take a little bit from everybody, you know, try to make your own style. Like, don't be Dan and, and don't be, you know, Aaron and Zach. Like, grab what you can from everybody and, and mix it together and find something that works for you. Well, the cool thing, too, is all these guys are coming together. They're, you know, and I think it really is in the name of conservation because, the, I don't know, man, we want to keep people in this in this yeah. spirit of hunting. Like, it's a legacy. And, yeah. um, you know, my dad taught me to hunt, and I hope I can teach my daughter how to hunt if she cares to do it. If not, you know, no worries. But if she yeah. does, I'll, I'll help her get there. And, you know, having this collaborative kind of effort, I've had Dan Invold on the show a couple times. I've had the hunting public on the show um, yeah. and I've been a public land hunter before it was cool, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, it ain't a thing for me. I just do it because I, a, I can't afford private land but B, I really like the change of scenery and the exploration and the, yeah. and the adventure that comes with it that I don't think you get doing the same thing every year on your private property well, next year. Like it's just, there's some adventure that could exist there and some knowledge about growing plots and et cetera. But man, there's something about I, tread new trails that, that gets me going. So, yeah. And like you said, with the, with the private stuff, I got some guys that hunt private. I have access to private. I rarely hunt it. But these guys, like, I I love what some of these guys are doing, like land management, getting people interested in farming. And see yeah, these guys cool. are growing yeah, these great cool. luscious food plots and timber management. But if I had, you know, a, a thousand acres, I'd be planting beans and corn and getting paid. I wouldn't be planting radishes. You know, I wouldn't till it back in the dirt. I mean, I love deer and all, but why not, you know, deer get big on corn and beans? Why not plant corn beans? You can sell at the end of the season, you know, like that's, I, uh, cause that seems like a lot of work. Like people tell me, well, public guys, man, it's so much work. Like my buddy's got a farm. He's got tractors and galore and you put a lot of work like every weekend. Man, you do a lot of work. I'm like, actually, you probably put more hours behind that tractor and doing land management than I do scouting. I was like, you don't really look at that, at that way. I was like, yeah, I don't it is spend a lot of work. Time. Yep. Yeah. And it's like it, you're still putting work in, which which is I respect that. But to me, I mean, I, I if I'm had a farm, like that, I'd just plant corn and beans all the time, and I would pay a farmer to farm it and sell it. <laughs> that just seems like there's a lot of money wasted that's left on the table for some people. Like I don't have a lot of money, you know. Yeah. And that's probably that. why you know I would never get into that world because uh, I like to travel and do other things than just buy a tractor and, and till the same ground and respect to the guys that do it. That's just not my cup of tea. It's a different world. It's one that I don't know much about. And like I said earlier, yeah. if I don't know something about something, I don't really talk about it. So I stick to public yeah. land hunting because that's, that's what I know by default. And uh, I'm glad that you are a public land hunter and I was able to get you on the show to, to shoot the breeze about all this stuff, man. Yeah. Thanks for taking time. It's fun. Yeah. Like I said, get out there and explore, you know, there's some, Thousands upon thousands of acres of public in every state. You know, even in us small little New Jersey or Rhode Island, Connecticut, there's public land to be had. Oh yeah. You know, and there's big, there's old deer everywhere. Don't get obsessed with inches. Get obsessed with mature deer. And, and you'll have. And a good... if there's a whole bunch of cars, 
get competitive. Yep. Get in there. Exactly. <laughs> think about it. You got big bucks on. Yeah, big bucks sign a lot of cars. That means one or two of those dudes seen a whopper. So you know what? Get in there. Think about it. And and when you do tag out, like I said, that that couple there I got on the wall is, is been in some high pressure areas, and it feels so good telling somebody where I killed that deer. I've actually told guys exactly where I killed that deer, and sure enough, they were there next year. Oh, I mean, absolutely. no shit. Yep. No shit. Well, I'm like, he's already dead, too. man. Mean, yeah, that's. <laughs> he's already dead. Like, we don't have 140 inch deer, you know, and around every tree here in New Jersey. It's not Iowa and Illinois. It's like a 140 inch deer is an oddity. It's a rare thing. There's not many of them. There's only a handful, you know, and maybe 20 minutes from my house. There might be four or five, maybe six, you know. So, you know, if you shoot one big one, odds are that was probably, you know, time to move on. That's funny. Well, you have a good night, man. Good luck this Saturday too, when your season starts. I know you want to do some oh, prepping, yeah. so I can't wait to see more on the Insta feed and the YouTube channel. I'll keep following along and All showing right, your stuff. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Yep. So you can see why that was such a great episode. And uh, I really... It's funny, I actually almost didn't ask ask Greg what his most memorable hunting story was because there was kind of one already in there, but I couldn't help myself, and I'm glad I did because that last one was pretty awesome too. So um, a lot of good nuggets in this one. I think just based on this interview and this show um, you know, with Greg, I, I think the tip of the week is more of a mindset thing, and it's something that um, I would have never have thought of in a million years maybe and I'm really happy that I was able to get this perspective from him based on his competitive nature, which is go to where all the hunters are. And, um, you know, as the, the guy that created the where to hunt app or, or whatever, um, you know, I, I preach avoiding other hunters and certainly, you know, you can still do that where there's a lot of hunters in the woods, but changing your lens and how you look at things to, I don't know, kind of find an, new opportunities and new ways to do things in the midst of all that is pretty cool. So I don't know, just a really interesting thought. I it's, you can tell it's kind of got my gears turning a little bit and uh, I wonder how everyone else thinks about that too. You know, that's obviously not what most people are trying to do by and large. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that to me. And um, you know, I, I like the challenge that comes along with it as far as thinking about it, the way that I think about things, which is always to be and stay positive and find opportunity in things. So interesting thought. Um, I don't think I will ever again be, woe is me, there's too many cars here, et cetera. Um, obviously, I try to combat that a little bit with the app and pop that open and see where people might be, et cetera. But um, it would be a pretty cool feeling to just go in. And, uh, you know, if you've worked really hard and you understand the property and you know where the bucks are betting and you can play the wind and you've kind of, fine-tuned all of these um, skills, I guess, or just ways of knowing how to hunt after doing it for so many years like Greg has, and then walk out of there with that big one. I mean, everyone would be just completely perplexed as to how, where, what the heck happened? How did this guy get that deer? So that's my tip of the week is just kind of change the way you think about things every now and again and um, look at, you know, look at hunting through a different lens um, and just see what that does for you. See if that gives you some more excitement, energy to go after it and, and just be a little bit different and push yourself further as a hunter. So 
Anyway, that's my tip of the week. Thanks again for listening. I'll ask for a review. I'll ask for a rating, as I think I've been doing on almost every show. And uh, if you know someone that can value from some of the episodes I've been doing lately and gain some hunting knowledge on public land, share with a friend, share with a family member, share with another deer hunter. Um, Enjoy your day, whether you're driving into work, running on the treadmill, running outside. Um, I'm I'm certain you're not hiking through the woods listening to this, but uh, thanks again for listening. It means so much that everyone tunes in. So that being said, have a great day and hunt public.